Hi, I'm Jermaine L. Murray, also known as the Job Father, and today I'm here to show you how to not go broke trying to get into tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Don't Go Broke Trying. I am your host, Rennie. If you're new here, this podcast is all about how to not go broke trying to live your life best life okay and today I have a really special episode for you and we're gonna be talking about how to not go broke trying to get into tech but before I introduce our guest and before I introduce the topic I want to say that I really appreciate all the views all the shares all the likes on our YouTube channel but I need a few more reviews okay like the reviews are growing slowly but I I need you guys to really be reviewing on Spotify on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts anywhere you possibly can because it really does help the podcast grow like a lot of you dm me and say you love the podcast and i'm like okay you (laughs) your dms are great but a public declaration of your love is even better okay it's like when a man is trying to hide you you know i don't like that okay we need (laughs) we need a love to be very public in my opinion so so just please before we get into this episode leave a review let us know what your favorite thing about the podcast is Okay, as I mentioned, today we're going to be talking about how to not go broke trying to get into tech. And the reason that I am doing this is because tech has been, you know, the big thing over the past few years, I would say. It's been like a a tech boom. And a lot of people I've seen have tried to get into it, failed miserably. But the person that I am interviewing today has gotten 376 people into tech over the past few years. And like... He knows what he's doing, so I'm excited to introduce our guest for today. That is Jermaine, the job father, Murray. Hi, Jermaine. Hey, Randy. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm hyped. Thank yeah. you for inviting me here. Yes, thank you for being here. Like, I feel like I've been following you maybe, maybe since 2020 or 2019, and like, I've just loved seeing the growth. You every single week, it's like a new person is getting into tech because of you, and like. I am, first of all, grateful for like the work that you're doing, and I'm really proud to see all of it. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. The uh, The feeling is mutual as well, seeing your growth and seeing how, you know, the podcast, the, the content has just taken off, and like the advice that you give. I know we're going to get into like some really heartwarming and thoughtful questions, mm-hmm. but like I think the platform and like how you use it, you realize you have like a responsibility and you take it seriously. And like we, as part of the community, we love you for it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So today I would just like you to introduce yourself to everyone. Maybe just tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Sure. Um, so as I said, my name is Jermaine L. Murray, also known as the job father. I did not give myself that name, but <laughs> I know good branding when I see it and I took it over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a recruiter and a career coach. I have a background in broadcast journalism and not being able to get a job in broadcast is what inevitably led me to becoming a recruiter, becoming an advocate for black people, and just trying to give people clarity on what they need to do in order to get to that next step in their career so that it doesn't like destroy their mental health as it did for me. Mm. Um, So I have a mission where I'm trying to help 500 black people get into tech. I've been doing this since 2019. Um, and we were at 376. Yeah. And it's, it's super hype. And, um, as of like yesterday, I celebrated my one year anniversary of being a full-time entrepreneur. I love to see it. And we're going to get into that journey as well. Cause, uh, 
you know, if, if you know, you know, but we'll get we'll get into yeah. it. <laughs> okay, uh, before we get into the actual conversation, I like to start off with a Renny Rated segment. And Renny Rated products are products that I love or services or songs, anything that I really love. So I wanted to know what's something that is Renny Rated for you right now? Something, a product that you love or a service? Um, something that's Renny Rated for me right now? I just got done playing it. Final Fantasy 16's demo. I'm a video game nerd. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know what it is. You know what it is. I've played that demo like six different times. Yeah. It, it came out like two days ago. Okay. And um, the game, the full game doesn't come out for like another couple of weeks or something. Mm. But I already paid the the hundred dollars and I'm yeah. waiting for it to you go lo- You love games. I love you? games. So, yeah. I, so that's my Renny rated. Final Fantasy 16 and by extension, the PlayStation 5. I love it. So let's go back to the beginning because we always like to get the like 411 about everybody and like know a little bit about them. So what was your like first memory of money? If you do remember it, like if we can go all the way back, like where did you grow up? How was your like living situation and what was your first memory of money? So I grew, I'm born and raised in Toronto, Mm -hmm. uh, in the greater uh, Toronto area. Uh, First, I spent half my life in Scarborough. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Lamaroo, Silver Springs, (laughs) Glendower. If you went to STC or the Y, shout out to you. Um, And then I spent the later half of my life growing up in Brampton. Okay. Um, My first memory of money is my dad giving me a $10 bill Mm -hmm. and then my mom taking me to Zeller's. I remember Zellers. Zellers. That's a throwback for yeah, real. Yeah, my mom taking me to Zellers uh, to go buy a toy, and I wanted this uh, Batman Batmobile for the Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. But it was fifty nine ninety nine, and I had ten dollars. And then my mom told me if I saved up the money <laughs> that my dad was giving me, mm-hmm. I'd have enough to buy it. And that wow. was like my first. I remember going to sleep that night and dreaming that I was just swimming in ten dollar yeah. bills. <laughs> I love it. And then how has your relationship with money like changed and grown over the years? Yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's it's changed and grown drastically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that my parents did a really good job of like providing mm-hmm. growing up. And I kind of lived in a bubble of ignorance when it came to like money. Yeah, um, it's it's wild, too, because when I was in uh, high school, I, I launched like an eBay business with a friend. Um selling jerseys, selling video games, electronics, and cell phones. But, like, I never understood the concept of, like, a profit and loss or, like, a, you know, an actual, like, concept of a business, right? Mm -hmm. We were just getting stuff and popular and I'm focusing on the wrong things. Um, My parents went through a divorce, um, and the divorce opened my eyes to, like, a lot of things. I realized my mom was being financially abused by my dad, um, and I just learned a lot in the roughest ways about loans, debts, credit, and how that can all come together to like really destroy your life mm-hmm. uh, for a matter of fact. And now as like an entrepreneur, um, it's not that I have a scarcity mindset with money. I'm just much more aware of what certain things are supposed to do. And I'm much more careful with my money. Mm-hmm. I am risk adverse in a lot of cases. Yeah. And I have an unhealthy fear of debt. Right. And as a business owner, yeah, you're sometimes. you're always encouraged to take on debt. And I'm just like, nah, nah I'm like, I'm, I'm good. But now he's a six figure business owner. I'm a six figure business, which yeah. is still crazy. It was just still right? crazy to say it in any year. It's not nuts to yeah. like say like, wow, I made like my own thing yeah. is making me six figures yeah. a year. Yeah, wow. it was um, technically this is a, the second or third year that this has happened. Mm-hmm. But like it meant a lot to me as a 
full-time entrepreneur yeah. because it was like, it, like I took on all the risk. Like, it, it, like if I didn't have a good month, it was like, out, like you. you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I, I don't have your nine to five to fall back. Yeah, on. exactly. So it was really good. And, um, it also opened my eyes to just like how much bigger the world is out there in terms of like exactly. money and invoices. Like I, I just sent over an invoice, uh, yesterday for, I'm not going to say the amount, but the amount makes me go, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is that me? I, I, I was like, I was like, hey, are they going to pay this? Yeah. <laughs> nah, I feel you on that one. I just signed some big ones and I'm like, hmm, a little me. You know this one person company. Interesting. Yeah. I'm like, right? I'm like yo, okay. Yeah. I get, I get everything Jay-Z and 50 yeah. were saying. Right. Like, I get it. <laughs> nice. So your business is called Jupiter HR. My business and, is called Jupiter HR. And what do you do there? Like for the people who may not know. And if you don't know, please go and follow Jermaine on all the platforms, especially Twitter. Like every day, gems, gems, gems being <laughs> dropped. But yeah, can you tell us a bit about Jupiter uh, HR? Jupiter HR is a career coaching platform and a recruitment agency. Um, our mission is to educate and inspire and inform black people on how they can get into tech, but also on on the business sides, teaching organizations how they can be more inclusive for black employees, how they can not only like recruit them, but also retain them when they hire. Um, but overall, like I've always said that I'm a community advocate first and foremost. So I'm looking for ways to help my community and for them to protect themselves because what's the point of like putting all that effort and getting into a job and then you're in a toxic environment and you're looking to get out in three, mm. six months. Mm. So when you say community advocate, what does that really mean? For black people, okay. for the black tech community. Mm-hmm. Um, if to me, the way that I operate and I work is that um, I was somebody that really needed some guidance and advice in terms of what to do for my career mm-hmm. at a really crucial point in my life. And I didn't get that support. Got it. And it wasn't for a lack of trying. It was just like there was nobody that looked like me that was occupying those mm-hmm. spaces. Okay. Right? I didn't even know the concept of a recruiter existed until like I was late in my 20s. Yeah. Right. And that's why I said I went to school for broadcasting because like. <laughs> I had no idea what to do yeah. when I was going into school because no one looked like me. So uh, I'm an advocate and I'm a, I'll act like a source of inf- information for black people to tap into to figure out what questions to ask so they can move on the way that they want to move on in their mm-hmm. life. Yeah, I feel like you're kind of like we I feel like we do very similar things yeah. where it's like we went into something and we learned the knowledge and then instead of hoarding it like many people do we decided to now share it with other people so that they don't have to start at the same level that we started at yeah i think exactly. that's really powerful and i hope this could be a first lesson from this podcast that if you know something that you learned and you had to learn the hard way by going through it maybe pass that on to someone else so that they don't go broke trying to make that same mistake <laughs> okay so through your business you've helped over three three hundred six seventy six people yeah Black people yeah. get into tech. Why are you so passionate about helping them get into tech specifically? Like, I know, you know, we could help, you could help every single person in the world get into tech, but like, why are we, why are we focus on black people? All right. So it's, it was twofold. I'm going to go, go into a little bit of a story. Okay. So I got my first recruiter job back in 2017, 2018, um, as a recruiter for an agency called Robert Half. And one of the first people that I, I actually like placed at a job, it, this was like 2018, early 2018. And um, this guy more or less got a remote job that was going to pay him like 130,000. This is 2018. That's so this, good money. Like, this, it's good money today. And yeah. like, that was before when inflation was crazy yeah. <laughs> and housing was actually affordable. Right. Tears. <laughs> Tears. Cries, cries in Toronto. <laughs> so 
Um, I remember, you know, we used to ask candidates to come into the office and sign their offer. And I remember the door opens and this dude almost hits his head on the top frame of the door because he's skipping <laughs> to the office to sign his Aww. offer. And he shakes everybody's hand, not just me, the receptionist, the other people. I'm like, this, this is a really happy dude. Oh, I'm getting like chills. You know yeah. And um, he, he, he like, like when I tell you he shook my hand, like I felt like going to dislocate the shoulder, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yo, Sergey, I get it. Like, what's, like, why are you so happy? And he looks at me and he goes, when I first came to this country, I couldn't get a job because I didn't have Canadian experience. Mm. And in order for me to get work to support my family, I had to move all the way out to Alberta and leave my wife and my newborn at their grandparents. Mm -hmm. He goes, I miss my son's first steps. I miss my son's first words. And you just got me a job where I'm going to be able to walk my son to daycare every single day. And I'm not going to miss a single moment of his life. And I was like, chills. I'm like, yo, that's deep. And then just this, this whisper in my head was like, I wish he was black. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, it was like, it was like at that moment, my whole eye opened up, my eyes opened up and I was like, yeah, I do wish he was black. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking back and I was like, how come all the candidates that we've been placing and putting forward, I haven't seen any black people. Mm. Right. So I was like, okay, um, I'm somebody who actually has employers coming to me and be like, yo, do you know people we can hire? And I know there's a whole neglected community that I'm from, mm -hmm. right, that people don't have access to. So I can be that connector. And then this was actually just fresh off of my parents' divorce. And like I said, my, my parents' divorce, people always say that the two reasons people divorce are finances and sex. Yeah. Finances is what got my parents. I don't want to know if the, I don't know <laughs> the other part of that played part into it. But yeah. finances is what basically got my parents. Um, my dad's business went up in smoke. Mm. He tried to recreate the success. You know, took uh, equity loans on our, on our home to try and like stimulate it. Everything flopped. Mm. Went for, he did another, he, uh, it was originally a contracting business that he did. That went up in smoke. Then he tried another one. That went up in smoke. Then he tried a restaurant. That went up in smoke. He tried a barber shop. Oh my gosh. And eventually my mom's like, yo, you just throw him money. Throw yeah. Trying to see what sticks right yeah. now. We ain't got it like go that. Get a, go get a nine to five. And yeah. that, that, that put him in such a dark place, right? Uh, yeah. So you got to understand though, my dad and my mom are, are Jamaican immigrants. Mm -hmm. Like my dad had to leave the fourth grade. Um, he dropped out of school in the fourth grade, essentially to pro start provide for his family and to mm. work. So he's always been like a, a working man with his hands, got an injury, couldn't work as, as, as he was able to. And it was just, I just saw like my, my whole entire parents crumble before me. And it was because my dad didn't have information on, didn't have information on what to do to skill himself but also on what kind of opportunities were made available to him, right? And, like, I haven't seen my dad or talked to my dad in, like, eight years since the divorce. Mm. And I looked, I started thinking around. I was like, all my friends, we all, all of us got these complicated, complicated relationships with our dads. And I know, I'd like to think that a big part of that was because of a lack of opportunity, right? So I'm like, you know, there's this saying that I heard a long time ago is like, Sometimes the only way to like heal yourself or to fix your pain is help somebody else with their issue. Mm. And I've been trying to like process damage from like the, the, the divorce and everything. So I was like, I can 
you know, try to heal myself by helping people that look like me, give them opportunity. So like, they don't have like, so like I can like minimize it in a way, like a son seeing his father fall off of that pedestal and seeing that relationship like deteriorate before their whole entire eyes. Yeah. Wow. So I didn't mean to get sappy on y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. I'm being so vulnerable, but yeah, yeah. it's like kind of t- turning your pain into purpose, I would say. Yeah, right. Yeah. And now you're doing the damn thing, killing it. Thank you. How did you actually, I know before you went full time in uh, Jupiter HR, you were working in tech full time. Yeah. So because we're going to be talking about how to not go broke trying to get into tech, how did you get into tech? And like, what was your journey to becoming a tech recruiter? Oh man, it was, uh, it was it was wild, rough, and stressful. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, I have a background in broadcast journalism, mm-hmm. so um, it was a matter of me trying to get into journalism that led me to getting into tech. I couldn't figure out what my resume needed to say, so I taught myself how to make a resume, and I saw myself getting job opportunities, and I did the same for my friends. And um, one day, I was working at Enterprise Rental Car. I'm not sure if y'all know the grind that is enterprise rental car. Tell us. <laughs> when you, like, you know how those cars come out clean? Yeah. Sometimes it's not the people that are the cleaners that are cleaning the cars. Sometimes it's the people oh, yeah? in the suits. Oh, yeah? I ruined so many suits cleaning cars at Enterprise. Interesting. One I particular didn't know One particular day, I was wearing a suit that I just bought from RW and Co., <laughs> And I split my pants. Oh, no. Cleaning a car. <laughs> oh, no. And I had a customers yelling at me. It was a nightmare, mm-hmm. right? I used to work at the Enterprise at Carling View Road across from the Hooters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> In Mississauga. In Mississauga. Yeah. Right? And um, I remember saying to myself, like, I'm extremely miserable right now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what, what what could I do? You know, what would, like, if, if, like, broadcasting ain't working for me. Because I've been trying to get this broadcasting job, this first job for five years, and I, and I can't get it. So, like, let's have, like, an honest talk, Jermaine. If you could do anything in this world and get paid for it, what would it be? Mm-hmm. And little voice in my head again. It was like, yo, I want to get paid to play video games. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I promise. Okay. I promise it's going somewhere, okay. right? So That's a good job. I would love that, too. I, I, have a, I had a friend that was trying to go pro for Call of Duty, right? Okay. And I asked myself, yo, you know, you know the work Houston's putting in to go pro call of duty right now can you beat houston call of duty no mm. are you willing to put on the work to get as good as you no and i was <laughs> like all right so you're not trying to get paid to play video games you just want free video games yeah right and i yeah. was like all right let's take a step back <laughs> so you know if you're not going to be a pro gamer what else can you do and i was like I work at playstation mm. so i went on playstation's website and i wrote down three skills i was like I'm a big talker, so like talking has to be a, a part of the the job that I won't get in trouble for because I always get in trouble for talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, passion for a product, right? And I have to be able to just like meet new people and not do the same thing every single day because mm-hmm. that's what I was doing at Enterprise and it was driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. And I went on PlayStation's website and I looked at all the job descriptions they had available to do that and I came across a senior technical recruiter job. Mm. And I was reading it and I was like, hey, yo, the only thing that I'm missing from here is five years of technical recruitment experience, yeah. whatever that is, yeah. <laughs> right? So I was like, all right, let me try and get a recruiter job or something like that. Mm. And I was still kind of 50-50 on it because um, we had some stuff coming up with like our mortgage renewal and employment, and I had to like keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, so ironically, a recruiter hit me up for a sales job selling construction equipment, 
in Uxbridge. I don't know what I was doing in Uxbridge. Where is Uxbridge? <laughs> where is that? I don't even know where that Uxbridge is. Uxbridge is very east of Toronto. <laughs> okay. I saw my first bear in Uxbridge. Um, that that tells you all you need to know that you did you, not need to be there. I did not need to be yeah. there. Um, but this recruiter got me a job. Basically, I was making forty k at Enterprise, mm-hmm. and the job was eighty k plus a truck. Right, it was not a, bad. It was a, a plus a truck with Double. gas paid, and like I was like, oh, we have this mortgage renewal coming up because uh. my parents separated, so the house is put in my mom's name and my name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my dad took a sh- like a. A lot of equity out in the divorce, mm-hmm. right? As a financial abuser would do. Um, and we were worried about qualifying for the mortgage. And I was like, if I take this job, okay, I did that math too. I was like, our mortgage renewal is on March the 5th. My third, my 90 days would be March the 3rd. Mm. We'd be able to renew at the mortgage. and We'll be good to go. Right? Wow. So I took, I took that job. You're strategic with it. I tried. Yeah. I tried. It was a gamble. Yeah. Right. Um, and I took that job from that recruiter because he sold me on it. And, like, th- things are going. And I got fired from that job February 28th. Ooh. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It was it was troubling. Um, and then I felt like, and then, like, we were forced to sell our house. Mm. Um, and when we were going through that process is when I was like, let me try and get my first recruiter job. And I had to network. I had to interview. Um, and eventually I got to interview with a company called Michael Page. Okay. And I remember the interview process was a three-step process. You meet with the, the coordinator who got who you gave your resume to. Then you meet with two of the sales directors, the VP and then the AVP. Mm-hmm. Met the first VP. His name was Simon. Simon was a dick. <laughs> Simon, if you're listening, you're a dick. <laughs> Simon, Simon was a dick because Simon came into the office. The first question, he looked at me. And like, you know, as a black person, a white person is looking down on you. Mm-hmm. He gave me one of those looking down looks. And he was like, how much money did you make last year? And I was like, uh, 60K, right? I, I just put 20K on top of the 40 that I got from Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, that's how I know you were a shit salesman. He only made 60K. Oh, my God. And he walked out the office. Simon, you're a dick. <laughs> the second person that came in was an AVP named Preston. Preston sat down. And the first question he asked me, he's like, yo, where are you from? And I'm like, uh, originally from Scarborough. You know, but I live in Brampton. He's like, oh, you're a Scarborough man? Me too. Oh, right? Yeah. And then we started talking. We don't even talk about the job. We started talking. And like, you know, we, we talk about the first time we both got jumped at Scarborough Town Center. What the? It's a rite of passage. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? <laughs> we talked about um, basketball at the Y. And like, he looked at me. He's like, you know what, Jermaine? I really like you. I'm like, thanks, Preston. I like you too. He was white? He was a black guy. Okay, okay. He's like, I'm like, thanks, Preston. I like you too. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're not getting the job here. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, but he's like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I know another Scarborough man that works at Robert Half. Okay. And they're hiring. Let me make an introduction for you. And that was how I got my first tech job. Mm. So shout out to Preston. Shout out to Andrew. Um, Simon, you're a dick. Simon, you're a dick. Yeah. And it was two <laughs> black men from Scarborough that opened the door for me to get in. Right. Mm. And like, um, that was how I got my first tech job. And at Robert Half, you were a recruiter. I was a recruiter. Wow. Doing technical recruitment for software engineers, help desk, VPs of technology. Like it was uh, jump into the middle of the pool type of moment. I had to learn everything on the fly mm-hmm. and then balance sales expectations. But yeah, trial by fire and I'm grateful for it. And then what was your next role after that? So and after Robert Half? After Robert Half, um, I remember 
I left because I didn't, they weren't offering me the money that I asked for. Know your worth, right? Know your worth. Um, and I went to a small boutique uh, recruitment agency that offered me a director of technical recruitment role. Okay. Right. And I was like, you know, I've been in there for like two years and I'm already a director. I'll take the title. Yeah. And they were giving me um, a salary, a base salary of 65000 For a director of? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I, that's when I, that's all, that, that place also taught me that job titles literally mean nothing. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I learned that at my yeah. old job too. Yeah. So yeah. they gave me for 65. Um, I left Robert half. Now this is, this is, this is how I get, this is how I'm, I get messy in my life. Mm-hmm. So Robert half and the boutique place were in the same building. <laughs> wow. How S- coincidental. Same building. Yeah. So I used to run into my manager at lunchtime and it was like on site tense beef. Yeah. yeah. It was Oh my God, it was so bad. Yeah, I can um, imagine. What made it worse though, is that this boutique place was owned by two white men that lived in Burlington. Mm-hmm. And I got, I remember I got the job and my grandmother passed and her funeral was on the Friday. So I asked them for the Friday off. On Thursday, they asked me to step inside a room and they were like, yeah, so I don't like the way you talk. And I was like, <laughs> this, ain't, this, this ain't what I think it is. That's not even a microaggression. That's like a macro. Macro. That's a straight assault. <laughs> For real. So I'm like, I'm like, I must must not be here, Crick. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, yeah, see, we don't like how you talk urban. And we'd like you to talk more like Bob. And I was just like. This is, a, this is the day before my grandmother's funeral. Like, you want to spring this? This is day four, by the way. The Raptors parade was literally the day, <laughs> like, the Tuesday. So this is 2019. This is 2019. The Raptors parade was literally the Tuesday before that. Okay. So they say that to me, and I'm like, oh, man. So. What the? <laughs> I'm in shock. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see my face. <laughs> what? Yeah, and it was, it was, it was bad. I, I did meet uh, one of my mentors there, ironically enough. It was another black guy. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, yeah. They're just white. <laughs> he's he's like a he's like a boomer, right? So he's yeah. like he's like they've said some things, and I just shrug it off. I just, I, they're just white. That's yeah. what he would say. They're just white. That's just that's just what they do. So when I told him about this, he was like, "Yeah, that that, that sounds pretty bad." And on top of this, on top of telling me that they um didn't like the way that I talked, they were also pressuring me to break my non compete with Robert half. Mm -hmm. So they wanted me to give up client information. Mm. Right. I'm not supposed to do that for a year. And I remember this is the moment when I was like, I have to get out of here. Yeah. I remember he looked at me. He's like, don't worry about that. Non-compete. We know lawyers too. (laughs) In my head, I'm like, yo, Robert half is on the NASDAQ. That's a $4 billion company. Yeah. Against your little boutique agency. Yeah. Right. I'm like, when you see, when I see my manager in the, in the lunchroom, um, in the in the cafeteria area, like it's tense. When yeah. you see my manager, you go the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want her lawyers to, to come at you for, right? Uh, um, and like I was like, all right, I gotta get out. And mm-hmm. I started looking for jobs, but I wanted. I remember saying to myself, I want seventy five thousand minimum. Mm-hmm. And I was interviewing with different places in Toronto, and the max they were giving me was sixty sixty five. So um, I was like, all right. I don't believe in insanity. I'm not insane. I'm not going to keep doing the same thing. So I got to change it up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let me do the most uncomfortable thing I can think of right now. And again, Toronto just won the championship. Everyone's feeling like this Toronto pride, mm-hmm. you know, Drake just dropped Scorpion. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it, like everyone's feeling Toronto right now. Yeah. And I was like, what's the most uncomfortable thing I could do? Leave Toronto. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was like, I'm a British citizen. I have, I'm a dual citizen. I have a British passport. And I was like, why don't I apply for jobs where I can get jobs? So I applied for jobs in Vancouver, New York City, L.A., London, and Montreal. Oh, wow. And I uh, got offers in all of those places. Wow. And I was like, okay, since I'm in this theme of being uncomfortable, right, what am I like? What's the most uncomfortable place for me to go? It's not Vancouver because I've been to Vancouver. It's not New York because it's too close. It's not London because I got my family out there. Montreal. It's Montreal where I don't speak French. Yeah. Right. Uh, and um, I was like, don't speak French. Never been there. Don't know anyone that's there. <laughs> yeah. What like if this if like if I'm pursuing being uncomfortable, this would be the most uncomfortable thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I moved to Montreal and lived there for two years. Wow. Yeah. And I was I a, yeah, I was a technical recruiter at a startup incubator called okay. Tandem Launch. Okay. And what they did was they took university IP and they created uh, tech startups around them. So I got to see like actual tech founders who weren't, who had like, who weren't tech found, who were in tech um, prior to as entrepreneurs, not only like learn their entrepreneurial path, but also like become tech founders, make their first hires. I was designing like their hires and, you know, recruiting the, the founders while also helping them make their first hires. And mm-hmm. I saw like how deep tech went. I saw how VC went. I saw the both sides of venture capitalists, right? I, yeah. you know, I've seen when the, when the VCs are happy and I've seen when the, when the, when the workers are, when the, uh, not workers where the, uh, Founders are happy. Mm-hmm. I've seen when the VC is happy and the founders aren't happy. Yeah. And it's an interesting, it was an interesting um, dialect that's going on. So mm-hmm. I was there. Um, and then uh, I moved on to being the senior recruitment lead at BPTN. And then I got, and I went and became a technical recruiter at Well Simple. Wow. What a journey. Yeah. So, okay. There's a lot in there, but I'm just, I'm just like in awe of how you were fired from places, but you didn't let it stop. You were just like, well, because I feel like being fired can be like a huge deal. Right. And seem like earth shattering and life changing. But you're just like, okay, it sucks. And we're going to bounce back and like move on to the next thing. Yeah. I would say that toxic workplace. um, I'm not going to shout them out, but like (laughs) I would say that toxic workplace was the one that taught me a very valuable lesson in the fact that you control your narrative. Mm. Right. So I was only in that place for about, I was at that place for about three weeks before I started applying for new jobs. Oh, wow. And I put it on my resume, right? <laughs> yeah. So people would ask me, like, and I, like, they would ask me, like, why are you looking for a new opportunity? <clears throat> uh, the first time someone asked that question in an interview, I told them what I told you. And they were like, they were like so horrified. Yeah. And I think that made them be like, either, yo, this pers- they're yeah. like, it's either one of two things. Either he's telling the truth and that's absurd or like he's one of those drama people. Yeah. And like, yeah. You know, we don't want him here. Right. Yeah. So I, I started tweaking my answer to saying some long lines of, you know, the company isn't a good fit for me. You know, like leadership is, you know, what leadership told me the, the goals were going to be and what it actually were, were two different things. Okay. And people just respected that. <clears throat> right. Um, so I realized that when I got my job at, um, at tandem launch and they gave me the 75, there's no lesson. They gave me the 75, because that's what I asked for. Mm, so you could have asked for more. I was so salty. Yes. <laughs> I, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I remember, I remember I, I did the meeting. I was like, I want 75,000. They're like, okay. okay sounds good. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm driving on the, I'm driving on the 427, <laughs> right? Going North, passing the airport. I'm like, wait a second. 
<laughs> You're like, wait. Yeah, yeah. I'm hmm. like, the last time, last time I asked for a, a for for a role, I had to do like a lot of back They're and forth. They're pushing board. back with you. They yeah. just threw them. They were like, sure. Yeah. So. Oh, you want to only get paid seventy five k? We can pay that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and let's get into. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, of course. Now let's get into like tips for people who also want to get into tech because not only are you a recruiter but you also have like been in tech for yeah. a while so getting into tech seems to be like the newest big thing i think as i said earlier for the past few years it's been like the thing to do and everyone's speaking about it you hear everyone saying oh i just got total comp two hundred thirty thousand dollars." like oh i have no experience my first job in tech was one hundred fifty thousand dollars." like we see all these stories on social media and it seems like a lot, but do you think these are sensationalized stories or are these things that you're seeing like pretty often and regularly? It's both. Okay. So it, the first it's, it's sensational a lot yeah. and a lot of misdirection. Okay. Like I always, I always give a bombastic side eye <laughs> to any coach or recruiter that makes the journey look like it's easy because mm. it's not easy. Now I always tell people one of the reasons why I'm very passionate for black people getting into tech is that if you were to ask me, hey, Jermaine, I don't have much experience, but I want to make six figures in the next five to seven years, what's the best route for me to do that? I would either tell you entrepreneurship, getting a job in finance, which requires you to go back to school, mm. or getting a job in tech. Because tech has the lowest barrier of entry of getting to a six-figure salary, right? I know when I was working as a recruiter at Robert Half, I was thinking about what my next steps are going to be and I considered getting my CHRP and then my CHRL because that seemed like the only way HR leaders could oh. make 100K. Mm. And then I looked at tech startups and I saw that the tech startups were offering recruiters with my types of years of experience, 75, 85. Um, I knew uh, a company, uh, I'm not going to say the company's name, mm -hmm. but I know a company where uh, because they are a very small but effective team, Basically, they have a rule where everybody makes at least one hundred and seventy-five thousand oh, dollars. Oh, wow! Including the recruiters and HR. Wow! So, I'm like, yo, there was just so much opportunity here. And again, remember what I said about where I was coming from and like what was going on with my family situation. I'm like, you put six figures on the table for a lot of people, and suddenly they become a lot more happier, a lot more present for their kids, mm -hmm. right? There's just a, a gigantic ripple effect, yeah. but. It's blood, sweat, and tears, right? There. It's blood, sweat, and tears. I don't, uh, the only people I know that are under five, six years of experience that are making 100K in tech are people that are working in extremely valuable niches. Such as? We're taking data scientists and okay. data engineers from like the best universities. Mm. And a lot of time, they're getting jobs in San Francisco. Yeah. And as we know, 100K in San Francisco is nothing. It's <laughs> not 100K in Wyoming. No. Right? Yeah. It's a totally different thing. So, mm -hmm. like, these stories do happen, but people use those as leverage to sensationalize the journey, saying, oh, I didn't have any experience. And, okay. like, when I ever, whenever I hear that, I don't have any experience and I work in tech and I have a six-figure job, I always go to their LinkedIn because if they're not working in data, AI, blockchain, or mm -hmm. for, like, or in San Francisco, they're lying. Yeah. Okay, this is good to know because, yeah, that's all I see on social media. Literally, like, Twitter is just filled with these stories, and I'm like, okay, like, it seems like I should just quit, you know, what I'm doing, get a job in tech, and in two, two months of, after boot camp, I'm going to, you know, get this high six-figure paying job, but I, it's not always like that, but yeah. it, it's possible. It just takes a lot of time, effort, yeah. 
and positioning as well. Um, before we even get into that, would you say that it's a smart move right now to tr- transition into tech, given like the current climate that's happening with all the layoffs and you know downsizing? Is this is this the time to get into? I do yeah? actually. Um, I think the perfect time to get into anything is when it's on a downswing or a downturn. Okay, yeah. I learned that the hard way trying to invest in wheat stocks yeah. in 2017. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At their peak? Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, I've been there. I, I'm, I'm holding on to some BlackBerry stock that I bought because I got into the whole game and, like, you yeah. know, ape thing, you know, you yeah. know, hold on for dear life. Yeah. I didn't buy too much, thankfully, but, mm-hmm. like, Oh my God. Yeah. Right. That, that just t- you, you don't never get into something when things are at its peak, right? You always want to get in when things are at a downturn. Now the reason it's twofold why I say that one, um, you are, you are at the beginning stages of a reset to a new norm, right? Not only do we have all these layoffs, you also have the integration of AI mm-hmm. and chatbots coming into play. And People are of one of two extremes, I find. Either they believe like it's an AI revolution that's going to take over everything, mm-hmm. or it's not going to do nothing. And the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? Uh, AI won't take your job. Somebody that mastered AI in theirs will take your job. <laughs> so that's... Facts, yeah. So we're seeing this great reset. So if you're in the beginning stages of trying to get into your tech career, your tech job, you can now alter or set your path to be along the line, those trends, mm-hmm. right? Incorporating and in, in, in like integrating them into your skill set from day one so that if you are up against somebody, maybe with a, that's a little bit more senior or tenured and you got one year and they got two years, right? If your one year is packed with all the newest technologies and theirs isn't, mm-hmm. you're the more valuable candidate, okay. right? Um, the other reason why I would say it as well is that it'll for, it's going to force you to develop your skills, Right. Um, has there been a, kind of like a bubble within tech? Yes and no. I, I'd say I would say that all the hiring that these companies have done, they were going to meet those headcounts. Um, it just happened sooner than anybody expected because of the interest rates, and they thought this free money thing was going to last forever. Yeah. Right. But these things happen in cycles, so you're getting to see the new norm get set up. You're able to like alter your path so that it's more reflective of that. So in five years, you're not thinking, what am I going to do? Um, but also it's good for you to establish these habits and these skills in terms of like self-learning, identifying trends and knowing where to look and where to find community because mm-hmm. that will help you throughout your whole entire career. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's say someone's listening to you right now and they're like, okay, I feel confident. And like, I think I want to start transitioning into tech. Where do they even start with that? Like say they're working as a social worker and we know that social workers do amazing work, but they are severely underpaid for what they do like yeah. the teachers social workers nurses nurses literally everyone who's helping i'm not people. i'm not gonna lie to you yeah i have like a i kind of feel guilty in a sense when i hear about like the nursing shortages or the yeah. teacher shortages because oh, yeah. i've helped a lot of nurses and teachers get into tech oh yeah and it's like oh our healthcare I, system is crumbling. I know. I, every and time Jermaine, I hear it, Jermaine's like, "Yeah, I'm the one taking your nurses." I'm like, I'm like, I'm like I know, it's like in, a, in like a jokey way, I'm like, "Oh, did I do that?" Yeah. It's not like Urkel, but um, nah. And it's like, I, I, I like on a systemic level, of course, like you, you have to be worried and you have to appreciate. But like on an individual level, how do how do I as a person? look at somebody that's sacrificed through the pandemic, sacrificed through COVID, and they've just said that they've had enough and not be like, let me help you with that. Of course. Right? I'm yeah. not I'm not brave enough to do that fight. No, no, and no. You, 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 
like I owe you yeah. that type of of course. Uh, you know and, what I'm saying? and also just everyone should work. Like I'm not saying worry about yourself only because obviously greater good, you know, important. But like if you are struggling to put food on the table because they're underpaying you and overworking you in your nursing job, yeah. then looking for a better future, a better opportunity that can provide a better future for your family and you ain't nothing wrong with it. Yeah. In my opinion, I've had, um, H I've had HR leaders and CEOs ask me, Jermaine, how can we improve the mental health and retention of our employees? Mm-hmm. Right. What kind of programs can we put into play? And I will look at them and I'll be like, pay them more. Pay them more. I was, I've seen reports from therapists saying that the best way to improve someone's mental health is to pay them more. And they're like, oh, let's put a foosball table in the yeah. in the in the kitchen. You, yeah. th- you think you think they would appreciate Pizza Thursdays? Yeah, like no, we, <laughs> no. we would like to be paid more like so we can live more. we can live comfortably. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, if somebody is say in one of those fields like yeah. social work, nursing, or any anything that's non-tech yeah. right now, what would be the best way to position themselves to get into tech? Yeah. I always encourage and uh, especially with the whole um, it's easy to get in tech people as well. I always encourage people to employ empathy and emotional intelligence and do an introspective thing where they ask, if I was a hiring manager, right, how could I see this person making my life easier, mm-hmm. right, when it comes to your skill set? And then you want to look at your skills, and I always like to divide up this into three parts. The first part is you want to look at what you like to do and what you like to know about. The second thing you want to do is what you've historically been good at in a career or professional setting. And the third one is what have you had tangible success or results with, right? And once you are able to identify those moments, it doesn't even have to be exclusively to your career, but just has to be in terms of like the skills that you have. Could be volunteer projects, self-driven projects, could be stuff you did for your church, which you want to analyze and you want to kind of figure out where your skills and where your value and where your impact is. And then once you have that, looking for jobs that correlate or require those skills. Mm. Those are going to be the places where hiring managers are going to be like, someone like you is exactly what I've been looking for or what I've needed. Um, For social workers, for the social workers that we've helped transition, we've helped transition a lot of them into uh, community manager roles. Okay. Right? Especially at like non-for-profit or mission-driven tech companies Mm -hmm. that deal with some sort of like social aspect, right? Either refining like how non-for-profits reach funding or even going as far as there's a lot of women-led initiatives around like helping them get out of abusive relationships and even stuff around like um, not sex, but like menstrual cycles okay it's called sex tech but like every time i say sex tech <laughs> somebody looks at me like what you mean hmm, what's yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah i was like nah bro i'm just like <laughs> menstrual cycles and menstrual tracking like that's 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 sex tech yeah right <laughs> interesting never heard that before yeah yeah <laughs> okay it, it, you know it's kind of ironic because i had a friend from uh, mind geek reach out and i like, seen that yeah they're like, yo, they're like hey yo we're hiring and i gotta be telling people like yo you were Technical recruiter for MindGeek, a.k.a. Pornhub, and it's just technical talent you're recruiting. Yeah, not the other type of talent. I am so disappointed at how many people message me, men and women. They're like, yo, what are the benefits? (laughs) (laughs) And benefits are in quotations. A lot of me. (laughs) Okay, so so a lot of social workers move into community management, for example. And I think what you said is kind of like what you did when you were trying to find a job. It's like you were seeing, okay, I'm good at this, this, and this, so let me see if... I can find a role in tech that has those same things. And then it's like, 
we're working backwards. Because mm-hmm. for me, and I you know I still have that PlayStation job posting. Oh, yeah? Uh, you screenshotted I, it? I screenshot I saved it to, to Google Drive, and I look at it because I'm like, I can actually go get a job at PlayStation now. Yeah. I, I don't want or need to get a PlayStation. I'd rather have them as a client. Yeah. But you want to reverse engineer the path, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, when I saw that I had a lot of the skills that they're asking for, but the main thing that I did not have was the five years of technical recruitment experience. Mm-hmm. And rather than say, like, how could I finesse my way into this? I was just like, this is a long, this is a long game, right? Mm-hmm. This is a decision I'm making for the entirety of my life. You know, if I'm lucky, God willing, I get 75, 80 years on this planet, right? Mm-hmm. 75 summers, that's all you really got, mm-hmm. right? So if I take three, four, five years to get to, to, to work myself and develop the skills to get a, a job at like a dream company, am I gonna, really going to be stressing it out in five years? No, I'm going to put the work in and, 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 and do it. Facts. So that's what you should be doing. You should be writing down your skills. You can even use ChatGPT, put in your skills and ask, you know, give me 10 tech jobs that I would be a good fit for, mm-hmm. right? If you do ChatGPT 4.5, with the uh, plugin for Bing, okay. you can actually ask it to search for live job postings oh, wow. that you'd be good for. I didn't know that. Right? Nice. And then it's all about reverse engineering. Ideally, you'd like to like apply for those jobs and get interviews. And then the feedback from the interviews will kind of like help you know where your gaps are. But in this market, you're probably not going to get the interview unless you have a certain set of skills or a niche. Mm-hmm. So you reverse engineer, you know, what kind of skills do I need to develop? How do I develop these skills? Mm -hmm. How do I get them to be project format so I can put them on my resume? How do I make sure I'm talking about successes? Like what kind of ways and metrics do I have to keep track of in my individual projects and activities Mm -hmm. to build up my resume, build up my my, my credibility? Um, And then from there, it's, again, using empathy, finding opportunities where you could essentially make that hiring manager's life easier. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say life easier because hiring managers are stressed they want somebody to make their life easier. And if you yeah. approach it that way, you talk to them that way, you're not going to be talking to Jim, the the uh, engineering manager. You're talking to Jim, the dad, that's trying to go home quicker to his kids. Yeah. So I that all makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. But in reality, like, how does someone actually, like, I know you, we're reverse engineering everything. Right. But, like, on my resume, what am I putting on there? Because, say, I have worked as a nurse for the past six years. I'm tired. I am burnt out. This job is exhausting and underpaying me. Now I'm trying to transition into tech. And I figured out the role that I want to get into. I highlight the skills in my resume. But it still says nurse, you know, like, on my past roles. Do people, like, will people overlook me because it says nurse? Or, like, are there any things that I can do to position myself properly? Yeah. So the they're... There is always kind of a disconnect when it comes to titles. Yeah. But this is why I'm like self-driven projects really take aim here. So I'll give you an example with one of the nurses uh, or one of the uh, one of the nurses we helped become a community manager. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that we that she did was that she actually led initiatives within the nursing department to like do mental health checks for the other nurses. Mm. Uh, she would organize things for the other nurses. She, would, she organized forums for them to basically lodge their complaints towards leadership, mm. right? And I'm like, all that is community management, right? Yeah. So your title is like, may, might be like a, might be like a quote unquote question mark. But if, and this is where your resume comes into, into play. If you're exclusively focusing on the elements that are relevant to that next role, that's what you put on your resume. Okay. So if you are a nurse, you're trying to get into community work, community management, for 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 instance, and you don't have anything other than the nursing because you just 
it, it's a hard job. You you go in and you clock in, and you clock out, Tired right? Day. You now have to strategize how you can get that experience in your domain, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the one way to do it is to take like again see what it's a need around you, and then try to address that need. Mm-hmm. Is it extra work on top of an already stressful job? Hell yeah, it is. Yeah. Right. But in the long term, it's probably worth. But in it. the long term, it's probably right. So yeah. I, like, I've had people say like, "How am I supposed to do that?" And I got kids, and I got, and I got, and I'm working twelve hours, yeah. and I'm like, "You got to figure it out," because mm-hmm. that like it, it sucks. Like I get it, but at the end of the day, like. When you're 60 and you like looking at your life, right? And your bones are aching mm-hmm. and you did a job that you hated, right? You can take solace that you did a good job, but like you're going to have regrets that you didn't put in that extra effort when you had it. Yeah. And it's not easy. That's why I don't like the no Rhetoric. experience yeah. in tech because it's, it's, it's a grind, yeah. right? Every single aspect in this industry, even before the bubble burst, was a grind. Is there, are there like things that can make it a bit easier for you? So say you like you literally, cannot find in you the energy to go and do it. I guess you could like hire someone to do your resume for you, but it still takes time. It's still, you have to like guide them, right? They can't just make a resume from nothing. Well, they they could, but I don't know. Yeah. Never lie. (laughs) Never lie on that. Yeah. You have to like, I I tell people a resume is like, honestly, one of the last things you do in the introductory stage Mm. of your process. Right. Like I can make you a resume. If you're a nurse, I can make you a bomb resume. But if all you have on it is nursing experience, yeah. it's going to be a bomb resume for nurse jobs, yeah. right? If you're trying to apply this community management, you've got no example of community management, even outside like your own initiatives, mm-hmm. right? Your own, like, you know, your own projects. It's, it's, it's very hard. So like you yeah. gotta, you have, that's why I'm like, you always gotta do the skill assessment. You gotta figure out like, what do I need to do to develop this skill and to make it get a tangible result? Mm-hmm. And could they work with you at Jupiter HR to actually like go through that process? That service Most definitely. Offer? Most okay. definitely. So we don't, we, at this point, we don't do individual skill development, okay. but what we can do, what we do is we map out and we tell people like where to go, how to develop the skills, depending on what their budget is. Right. Sometimes it's as sometimes like if someone wants to get into project management, for instance, right. Or product management, um, you have options where you can either rely on boot camps like collab, or you can go and do Udemy classes. Right. But then the next stage after that is you figuring out projects to do, right? Either in a community setting, either online or either self-driven that gives you some aspect of product or project management knowledge, mm-hmm. right? The I don't like the intern volunteer aspect because I'm always like, yo, get paid for what you're worth. Yeah. But in the worst case scenario, you can hook up with an incubator like the one I was working at mm-hmm. and you can find entrepreneurs and residents that are launching startups that need the help but not, not might not have the finances or the full bandwidth to offload someone as a full timer. Mm-hmm. Right. But this is where, this is also like in doing all of that, you also increase your network, right? You also increase your knowledge of what's going on industry trends. And you also are able to get an idea of where you're going to fit in the most. And that's why I'm like, you can't skip steps. Yeah. Everything leads into something one way. It's all ecosystem. Yeah. Everything you're saying makes me see that this is not an easy transition no, that just all. happens overnight. But it's, it's, it's worth it. Yeah. Right. Um, I went to, I got flown out to New York, uh, by CNBC. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, uh, a couple months ago. Nice. And one of the things that I did is I met up with, um, one of the people I helped get a job in tech and shout out to Sam. You're amazing. And she was from the country in Atlanta and her dream was to work and live in New York. 
Yo, it was a stressful two-year process for us, eh? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> she went in as an engineer. She had to, like, she, she was self-taught, right? So she had to develop projects. She had to develop, like, networks. And, then, like, she <laughs> she went through so many interviews. So many nights we were just, like, kind of crying to each other because it was just, like, just frustration. Yeah. But when she finally got her shot, right, when I saw her in New York, it was her one-year anniversary at that job. Aww. And... We were laughing about about the, the stressful stress nights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, "Yo, I'm chilling now." And it was like, she told me all the things that she's been able to do with like because. the increase in pay and how she's been able to support her family and whatnot. And it's like, yeah, like it, it has to be hard in order for it to be worth it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about boot camps. All right, getting into tech. All I hear is go do a three month boot camp. Get the skills. They'll do a few projects, and then you'll be able to get a job in tech. As we as we've discussed, getting into tech is not the easiest thing, as they painted out to be. But are boot camps an essential part of getting into tech? Would you say? And what are your thoughts on boot camps? I wouldn't say boot camps are essential per se, because a lot of what a boot camp teaches you, you can also learn on your own. Okay. However, self learning is something that you have to be introspective about. And make a decision whether or not you can actually do and commit to. Mm. What a boot camp will do is provide you with structure, provide you with community, um, and will com- c- provide you with a good foundation that you can build off of, okay. right? And who you are prior to the boot camp and who you are after in terms of skills can be like night and day. But you thinking the boot camp alone is going to get you in <laughs> doesn't work like not that. How it works. I think it used to work like that back in like 2007. 2008 right yeah when the idea of like self-learning was still like relatively new and Mm -hmm. it's like if you're in silicon valley and you can program mark is gonna hire you right but like no that was like 15 years ago right yo when you say that i'm like wait oh eight being 15 years ago yeah that's a long time ago i was i was talking to one of my yeah i was talking to my one my younger cousins i was like yo i remember when 720p was like the (laughs) The, pristine (laughs) hd quality chris quality right you couldn't get a 1080 yeah you couldn't get a 1080p or a 1080i but you got a 720p yeah you were good right um but like yeah that those those are strategies from like the old days right you Mm kind of like gotta project and think forward and that's why i always encourage people to have empathy and putting themselves in the shoes of the hiring managers right because at the end of the day that's what you that's who you're communicating your value to and yeah. like ask yourself if i'm a if i'm a software engineer manager with a complex cloud product right is somebody who and i've been doing this job for 20 plus years is somebody that has three weeks of boot camp experience yeah. going to be able to help me out? Or is that somebody that I'm going to have to hold their hand mm. and invest resources to get them up to speed? Okay. So how does like, how do, so the boot camp's just the beginning you're saying? Boot camp's just the beginning. Okay. A problem, a mistake that a lot of people make too is that they do the boot camp and they only list projects from the boot camp on mm. their resume. Okay. The projects from the boot camp are nothing more than filler. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oop. Some of them, some don't get me wrong. There are some boot camps that are designed to like give you like to launch an actual product per se. Mm. And that's a lot more tangible. But at the end of the day, you're coming off of a syllabus that like whoever, however many, many other people in your course were are going to have the same exact type of resume. Yeah. So I say it's a foundation because it's supposed to teach you to go out and do more, right? Add to your portfolio add to your list of contacts, add to what you can do. So instead of it being 
yo, you only got a year of experience and three months of that's boot camp. It's how the hell were you able to do so much in just a year? So what are these projects that we're doing? Are these like we're going out and finding our own projects and volunteer? Well, you know, we said volunteering yeah, is questionable. It's, it's, it's a mix of things. Okay. So like I say self-driven projects because self-driven projects are also interesting. So like a reskin of Netflix or a reskin of Instagram is not a compelling project. Okay. You creating an app, someone created an app um, that um, I got a job at, at, one, at a, I think it was well simple. One of the apps that they created, it was basically, um, you put in your last strain of marijuana and based on <laughs> okay. what you put in, it would recommend a new strain and show you where you can buy that strain. Mm, pretty cool. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like, that is a lot more interesting than like a reskin of like Netflix. That person built that on their own. Mm. But I know people that have also, like I said, used to walk into like Tandem Launch or the or any of the incubators that I know, like Sequoia, for instance, Sequoia Capital, for instance, um, or Mars Discovery District if you're in Toronto, mm-hmm. and they would look for projects or startups that they were either uniquely suited to uh. because they had an interest in it or because like they had like uh, people that they knew, right? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, for example, uh, someone that we helped get a job um, at a wearable tech company, his mom had a heart pacer. So he had an actually intrinsic reason for why he wanted to work at a wearable tech company, mm-hmm. right? So when he went to go network and ask if he could, like, work on some of their projects or help them offload some of their, like, redundant tasks, that's where he was coming from with it. Makes sense. And again, people are people, right? The, the reason why I'm always like, Yo, you want to tell the truth in your resume or just in or like in interviews and in life in general is because people are people. They can, people can sense when you're not telling the truth. People can also like imagine themselves in your shoes, right? They get, they can get empathy for you in return. Mm-hmm. And like I said, a lot of people will look at a situation and be like, if I can be that person that could give like a younger version of me that leg up and it's not like as much of a risk to me to do it. Why not? I'm going to do it. Like, I'll, yeah. I'll, t- I'll take the moral victory. Mm-hmm. And then where are we, like, showcasing these projects? So I know we have it on our resume, but do we also have, have, have to a have portfolio. a portfolio? Okay, like have a, an a, actual a website? separate or? website. Okay. If you are a web developer or, yeah. you, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> if you are a web developer and you say you, self, you self-taught and I can't find your website, mm-hmm. are you a web developer? <laughs> no. no. So you want to... So there are a lot of different things. So there, it's kind of like a three-prong attack in okay. tech, right? Or four, I should say. You always want to have it on your resume. You always want to have it on your LinkedIn. And depending right. on where, like what vertical you are in tech, you might want to have a GitHub, right? Or okay. you might want to have a profile on Behance if you're working UI, UX. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want to have that, multi, that multifaceted that approach so that it's easy to find you, but also like, you look like you're actively in it. Yeah. So the other thing with like boot camps is that this is harder to measure, but like interviewers want to come away with the impression that you're like extremely passionate about what you do. Mm -hmm. Right. And the reason for that is it means the more passionate somebody is something about something, the less onboarding time is going to take to get them caught up to speed, which means you get a quicker return on investment for the Mm -hmm. hire. Right. Makes sense. So, and remember for an engineering manager, they don't care about the like financial return on investment. It's time and making their lives easier. Mm -hmm. So I always say like when a hiring manager comes across a LeBron James, number one draft (laughs) pick, Mm -hmm. 
they're going to try and hire them because it's like, again, if, if, if the narrative around your one year is how did you do this in one year yeah. by yourself with no support, mm-hmm. what happens when I, I, I'm in here and I'm giving you the resources? Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, if it, like the idea is like, if I give you something that you don't understand, right, and I meet with you once a week, mm-hmm. some people who don't understand will, not, will still not understand and have nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. Other people might not understand, but they have all these solutions they'd be working out and they did all these different things. And sometimes it might even be like a new idea and that new thing that they just did. Yeah. And it's just a, a blocker that experience can take up. That, that, those are the people, the juniors that hiring managers want to hire. Mm-hmm. And then some people, like I said, LeBron James, <laughs> like not only did they do the solution, but they, they, they gave you some ideas that you're like, yo, I didn't know we could do yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> those are the ones we want. Um, since it says don't go broke trying, just going back to the boot camps, yeah. I know there are some like scammy boot camps and like people spend a lot of money paying for them and then they're just, there's no results after it. So yeah. is there anything we should be looking for in boot camps to make sure that like we're not losing our money? Yeah, I think where uh, the most important thing is um, identifying what the result the boot camp is telling you. And this goes for coaches as well, mm-hmm. right? A coach or a boot camp that tells you that they're guaranteeing you to get a job in tech, uh. red flag. <laughs> red flag. Like flag. Flag is scarlet on flame. <laughs> you remember those holographic Pokemon cards? <laughs> the flag is holographic, right? <laughs> if a coach is telling you, like, yo, I'm going to give you all the tools, but, like, at the end it's it's on you, That those are, those are the ones that you want. And, yeah. like, I can't talk for, like, different price points because, like, price, price is price. It, it, what's worth people is what's worth people. But, like, mm-hmm. if... The boot camp is focused on making sure that you have the right skills and the right foundation, right? That is like what you want to focus on. And then price second, of course. Mm-hmm. But you want to focus on the result that they're promising you. Mm-hmm. If they're promising you that they can get you equipped for the grind and it sounds like hard and ugly and like <laughs> you, you go come up with scrapes and bruises and scratches, those are the ones that you want. If like... uh if a boot camp is like, yo, we, you, we're going to be able to help you deliver an actual feasible project, an app that can actually like work and people can be used and you can use that as your resume and you can build more with the team that we connected with you. That's a valuable boot camp, mm-hmm. right? But like anything that's offering you a shortcut, don't do it. I saw someone the other day that was like, oh, sis, I can help you get that six figure job, right? Mm-hmm. With only six months of experience. And it's like, A, you ain't talking about what kind of job it is. Yeah. Like you're not being specific. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. too general. Yeah. B, you making it sound easy, right? You need to tell me. I'm, a, I'm. If you said, if she's, if that person said, "Hey, sis, I can get you a six figure job in six months, and it's gonna be hell." I'll be like, "Oh, <laughs> I think she, I think she, you know, saying because they're honest. They're yeah. honest, right? Yeah. And someone was like, "Yo, we gonna crush eighteen months in six weeks." Your eyes gonna be bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> like you almost, you almost feel like, yo, do they want me to buy this? Yeah, yeah. That's that's you. that's what you want to look out for. So I think it's it's results oriented and also like value aligned mm-hmm. as well. Like, what are they promising? Mm-hmm. And I know that networking can play a factor in. Like, I think all my jobs have been through networking. So, what role would you say networking has in getting into tech? A big one. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not, I hate the whole, it's not what you know, it's who you know thing. That's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, or I'll, I'll, quote, I'll quote Clara Zavon, actually. Um, I don't have problems. I have friends, mm. right? <laughs> um, as I told you in my story, my entrance into tech 
was through a referral from somebody that I interviewed with, right? You don't even know this. When you're net, when you're interviewing, you're still networking, eh? Yeah. Especially if you make a good, like, personal impression on somebody, you might not be the right fit for their organization, but you might be the right fit for another organization. Or Simon, even another, you're a dick. Or even, <laughs> <laughs> or even another team in the, the company, team, right? right? Yeah. Um, but, like, I think networking plays a huge part, especially if you're, like, trying to break in because it gives you credibility and it gives you like, it allows you to like leverage someone's own network and their, their worth and like their word, which is why I try to be as vocal and available as possible. One of the things that we do at Jupiter HR, we do referrals. I don't charge for referrals. Mm -hmm. Sometimes like I don't charge for referrals because I'm working on a recruitment contract with a company and they'll pay me. And sometimes it's just like, I just know somebody and I can just get you in. Right. But like a lot of people, don't have a network and they don't know where to start with the network. Yeah. So at least for our community, I can be that network because like it's the sad thing is, is that there's, there's like only one job father or like one Jermaine doing this. Mm -hmm. The other communities, there's like hundreds of Jermaines. Yeah. You know I'm saying putting in plugs and, and, and getting their, getting people from their community to get representation. And that's what we need more of. So like, yeah, it's, it's huge. It's in a lot of cases, um, I would say like a good percentage of our 376 success stories might not happen if we didn't rely on networking. Wow. 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 So if someone wanted to start building a network, how would you suggest they do that? Like, so, like, I feel like for most people, when I tell them to network, they feel like, oh, it's pretty cringe worthy. Like, I don't want to be reaching out to people and like, you know, I feel awkward. I don't want to be ignored or I feel like it's fake. That's those are the things I hear about networking. So is there like a natural way you suggest networking? Yeah, there's, yeah. there's two natural ways. Yeah. Um, one, identify a way that you could help. You can provide value to that person. So if you yes, you're, sorry, let me just yeah. stop you there, guys. Please, <laughs> if you're not listening, if you're maybe distracted right now, I want you to listen to this, okay? Because a lot of you come to me for networking, and I'm like, guys, I ten thousand people ask me for things every day. I can't, I cannot say yes to all of you. But when someone offers me value, okay, sorry, yeah. let me let me let you finish. No, no, no. <laughs> like if you if you had the gunshots on the on the thing, yeah, I get you. So you want to be able to identify how you could provide value to somebody. Right. If it's a recruiter, the immediate way you can provide value is offering to like broadcast our job descriptions mm -hmm. on your net on your social networks. Right. Um, or just looking out and providing referrals to us type of thing. Um, that's a good way to get into a recruiter's books. Right. Um, so what, would, what would I say to the recruiter? Hey, uh, so the other thing is you want to have an intention on what you want from that person. Right. I always say going for the kill, which is asking for the referral for a job is a quick way to end the conversation yeah. on their side. Mm. Right. But if you have an intention around, I like to use improvement. Right. So if it's a recruiter, it's like, <clears throat> excuse me. If it's a recruiter, it's like, Hey, Jermaine, um, I'm reaching out because I just did my resume looking for X job. Appreciate any feedback that you might have on it. Um, and just in terms of how to improve it, and would love to know if there's any way I can help you. Do you have any jobs that you're recruiting for? I can post them on my network and let you know if I get anybody that's interested, mm. right? Offer me, offer me or offer the person something. Yeah. If it's an engineering leader, right? Um, if it's, so if it's like a, if like a, if it's engineering leader or engineering manager, for instance, um, I would reach out on the guys of, Hey, Jermaine, the engineer, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just completed this cool project 
you know, using Python to help people find, you know, what marijuana strains they should be smoking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> could I get your opinion on it and just what you think I could do to improve it? Would really appreciate that. Mm. Right. You see how the asks are minimal. They're not too, they don't minimal. minimal. They don't put too much on a person. Oh. I don't know that second example. I didn't have like the value approach for it, mm-hmm. but the value approach is ego in that, in that sense, because it's like, Oh, I'm coming to you because like, you, you're this great engineer leader. Mm. Like I'm trying to get in, but I don't mind. I'm not asking you to get me in. I'm asking if what you think of my stuff right now. Okay. And then they may be impressed by it. And then, you know, it could lead to more things on the line, right? They give you feedback. Okay. If they're impressed by it, that's cool. Yeah. But if they're not and they give you feedback, you you implement that feedback. You wait three weeks, you hit them up again. Mm. Rinse and repeat. Yeah. Always top of their mind. And I think follow-ups are something that people forget to do, right? Yeah. Like even a lot of people message me and I'm like, okay, I open it, I'm going to respond, and then I just forget to respond, yeah. right? But then if they follow up again next week, I'm like, oh, yeah, let me <laughs> let me yeah. actually respond to that. So I think people need to understand asking for feedback, offering value to people, and then following up if you don't get a response, yeah. you know? Obviously, don't be annoying about it. Exactly. But I feel like there's, an appro- there's a delicate approach for all of this. I would even say, too, if some if you see somebody's active on social media, engage with their social media i've said this so many times the the amount of like i get a lot of dms i get a lot of linkedin emails to the point where i have to send an auto responder <laughs> on my linkedin messages yeah. right i don't get to all of my linkedin messages or all of my dms but i will say this if i if there are people on both my twitter and my linkedin that have liked all my posts have commented have engagements with me online Word when they are in my dm even if they, even if it's not like a paid thing they're trying to do, when they're in my DM, I'm like, oh shoot, me too, Renny Wagwan, I know you, like <laughs> exactly. You're, you're not, you're not just like a like random. A, a, a random follower anymore. Yeah. Like you, you engage. Like I recognize your name, Trust right? Me. There are some people who are surprised that I know them or I remember them. Yeah, and it's like, how could I not remember you? Literally, like every post, right? No, I have some followers of mine, like Tony. Shout out Tony. I know you're watching this right now, <laughs> and like Tony is the goat. Like. I, Every tweet I probably tweeted, he's retweeted. Yeah. Every YouTube video he's probably commented on. And, yeah. like, that's my guy. Anything Tony needs, yeah. like, I got him. Anytime he DMs me, I even give him my phone number. Like, I don't give people my phone number. I, he, we're close now because yes. of that. So I 100% agree. Yes. And they don't have to be, like, a social media personality to do this. It no. could just be, like, somebody who posts on social media every once in a while and you engage in their posts. They're going to notice you, yeah. right? Yeah. And the other hack mm-hmm. I want to say is... People underestimate being the ones to organize the networking events. Mm. Like I'm like when people ask me like how I got my network as high as it did, it was because I started off going to networking events in person. Mm-hmm. I used to do four a month um, when I was living downtown. <laughs> That's a lot. Oh, but you lived downtown. Sorry, not living. Down, when I was living in Brampton. I was working downtown. Yeah, because the go train was messed up. The Brampton. If you missed the the five fifteen, you ain't get another one till like eight thirty. Oh, sure. so I was like, I right, <laughs> I'm just gonna miss it. Go to a go to a networking event once uh, a week, and like every time I saw a black person, I would put them in my WhatsApp group. And I'd be like, we have this WhatsApp group where we share information, mm-hmm. we share feedback, you know, we share opportunities, right? And um, we want to see, like, black people win. So you created the community that you didn't see or exactly, that you wanted. That I wanted. And yeah. we just weren't organized, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I heard from an Indian coworker that they had, they're in three different <laughs> IT WhatsApp groups where they're doing this. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't even find one black one. Yeah. So, like... I saw the opportunity and I set it up. And like, if you don't want to do WhatsApp, 
make a meetup event. There, shout out to Jamar Gale. Uh, Jamar Gale is uh, someone from my social, from one of my followers on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Always engaged with me. Always liked my stuff from when I was like, like first started off, started my Twitter, and he had a goal of becoming an IT help desk person, mm-hmm. and then pivoted to becoming a data analyst. Wow! And you know what he did? My man started a Discord server for people to learn data structures and for them to support themselves. Wow. Grew that to like 2000 people before he got his first, like his first data analyst wow. job. But by the time he got his data analyst job, they're like, yo, we, we, we in the discord server with yeah. you. <laughs> so it's like, you know what I'm saying? And like they heard about him because somebody invited them to mm. it. So it's like, you can make yourself the star for lack of a better, like the center of the universe by like figuring out what you need and then just realizing that you're not as, like you're not that unique. There are other people with that same need, but you can kind of like shine a star for them to come to and like build around you. So there's a community of people that are like minded. Mm-hmm. Wow, I love that. Okay, so let's say now we have taken all your steps and tips, and we have gotten an interview for a job. What can we expect in like a? T- Actually, wait before I even get into that. For some people who are listening, they think tech is like only you know, those technical roles. So could you share some non-technical roles that somebody in tech could, or somebody could get to in, in tech? Yeah. Yeah. So when we say non-technical roles, we mean anything that do with coding or programming. Technically, every single tech job has technical skills. Okay. But. Yeah, true. Just to, <laughs> just to clarify. So right off the bat, technical recruiter, marketing manager, product marketing manager, community manager, uh, tech uh tech sales sales engineers i know it has engineering but not really anything around engineering um to name a few i would say also um say community manager data analyst doesn't really count but business intelligence analysts uh someone that looks and learns about like uh, interprets the data Mm -hmm. um i would say product managers scrum masters project managers um i would say uh developer advocates um, Never heard of that. Yeah, essentially what they do is they, they hear what the development team needs and they make business cases to send towards uh, leadership. Um, HR managers, diversity, equity, inclusion managers. Um, so I feel like a lot of these jobs are done outside of tech, but it's just you're doing that same job in tech. Exactly. Which I think a lot of people can look into because the same role that you're doing in your company, you, you could probably do, do it in a tech company tech, and make a lot more money. Tech companies need HR people. Yeah. Right. Uh, tech companies need salespeople. Marketing people. Tech companies need marketers. Tech yeah. companies need customer service people. Customer success. Oh, yeah. And uh, customer success is the other one I should mention. Yeah. Too. Okay. Okay. So now let's say we've taken all your steps. We've figured out the role that we want to do. We've figured out our resume and beefed it up and now we've gotten an interview. Do you have any step or do you have any expect, what can we expect when we get into a tech interview? Um, what you can expect is a, I always say that for any interview, right? There are three types of questions that there are three types of categories. A question can fall into and the angle that you can take to answer it. Uh, the first one is cultural fit. The other one is technical ability and the last one is, I would say, impact slash profitability, right? Um, so for like cultural fit is, is pretty obvious. Nobody wants to work with an asshole. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this is important in tech because, you know, um, morale dictates a lot of like what companies or teams can, produ- can put out. So when a company has a really strong like chemistry or really strong uh, team culture, they want to preserve that. And like 
even just one bad apple could suss up the whole thing and like Facts. throw everybody off. Um, so they're the, the cultural fit questions are not even necessarily around your personality. Could also be around the technical environment. Like, can you work asynchronously? Can you work autonomously? Do you need micromanagement? Mm-hmm. Right. So like, if you like, for example, if you need micromanagement in an environment where everyone is autonomous, yeah, it's not a good fit. Right. Technical ability is just like, are you cap- are you technically capable of doing the job, and do you have the skills and understanding to like get us to the goal that we want? And then impact or profitability is like a lasting legacy. Like, you know, are you able to elevate and innovate on what we have going on here? Have you done that before in your past? So you realize that no matter what question is asked, you can slide that question into one of those three categories and then choose to answer that question from that angle. Mm -hmm. I find that interview answers that are niche to the point and are like, really relevant are the ones that have impact the most. Okay. Right. Um, so figuring out what lens to answer that question allows you to properly structure your thoughts mm-hmm. to like maximize that impact of what you're saying. Is there a specific method you use to answer questions or you suggest people use to answer questions? Uh, I like using the car or star method. Okay. What's um, that? Star is situation, task, action, results. Okay. And car is challenge, action, and results. So essentially the way that you want to be telling your, your answer is you want to structure it in a way where it's identifying the challenge that makes this skill or like the whole point of your story uh, necessary. The actions talk about the technical solutions that you identified and later implemented. And the end result is who benefited the most, right? You know, if you're, if, if you're doing like an interview for a customer success manager, they're going to ask you, you know, tell us about a time that you dealt with a really, really, you know, frustrating customer that was just an ass, <laughs> right? And they, they, they couldn't grasp the simplest of concepts. What did you do, mm. right? So if you start off with, you know, um, I had this one customer that was responsible for a very big order. The challenge, you always want to state off what the stakes are, mm. you know, that was responsible for this really big order. And they were just belligerent in not being able to understand how to reset their system. Right. So you've identified the challenge. You move on to the action. Right. So what I did was I got them to do a full breakdown of the issues that they were having. And then I made a counterpoint showing them each solution and each proper step to take when something happens in that workflow. Mm. And the end result was I had an extremely happy customer. They became our biggest advocate and they never bothered me again. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. And it's very simple, simple, straight to the point. And like it gets... It gets your impact across really well. Okay. You can even take it a step further if you have identified a specific niche in your actual like employment or like skill set. So I would say everybody, like I can have another recruiter across from me, but I know that my niche is dealing with black people, Mm -hmm. right? And, And interacting with black people or leveraging social media, right? So my answer might be, geared towards highlighting that aspect of me. You know, if I'm talking about how I find diverse candidates, I'm going to tell them a story about, you know, interacting and recruiting from the black tech community, right? Or how I may have used social to do that. Okay, nice. And then what about any, are there any questions that we should ask in an interview that may help us stand out? Because I feel like a mistake a lot of people make is that they like I've interviewed people and then at the end of I'm like, Oh, do you have any questions for me? And they're like, no. And I'm like, do you Yo. even care about this job? <laughs> like, I'm confused. Why did you come for this interview? So are there any things that you like you say, uh, some typical questions that you would say we should ask? 
I always say going into an interview, do your best to familiarize yourself with the product or the service and ask questions relative to the product's performance or the product's um, or how the product differs from its competition or even asking for the interviewer's um, opinion on the product and how they themselves would my favorite question would be like, yo, if you had full control of a company for 24 hours, what are the first changes you're implementing to your product and relative to how it affects your users? Mm, and that's a good question because I'm sure they rarely hear that question ever, right? It's not a typical question that they would get asked. Yeah. It actually makes them think, right? It, it makes you think. Like, yeah. um, I remember I interviewed for, uh, when I was looking, before I got my Well Simple job, mm-hmm. I remember I interviewed with a company called Thanks for a job that was significantly above where I was from a competency standpoint. Mm -hmm. But what they said, what made them want to interview me, and I got all the way to the final interview, they said what made made them want to interview me is that um, basically I told them, I really like your, so they have a a platform that enables brick and mortar businesses to easily make a a website and an e-commerce supply chain uh, mechanism. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like, I really appreciate what your product does because my girlfriend is crushed that Prairie Girl Bakery uh, went under. Oh, yeah. If you're not aware, Prairie Girl Bakery made the best cookies <laughs> and cupcakes and cupcakes, yeah. but the majority of their businesses were in office buildings yeah. and because of the pandemic, they had to shut down. I have to think that if your product was around or they had access to Ooh, it, they'd still be there. What a good answer. And they were like, they're like, hey, yo. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, that's a fire yeah, answer. Yeah. I'm impressed. They're, they're like, they're like, yo, you, you know, you, you actually understand and know yeah. what we're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, especially with startups, right. Especially like the more complex, the product, the more they want to hear that you have ideas or that you have understandings or you have questions, like mm-hmm. a question, question gives insight into how a person thinks and how engaged they are with the product. So yeah. if, you, if you're not giving me a question, I mean, you think you don't care, you don't understand. Yeah. Which means I'm not going to hire you either way. <laughs> either, either way is bad. Yeah. Either way is bad, right? Yeah. Um, so I always go, you always want to go in, you want to ask about the product or the service. Mm. The second one I, I always ask or I try to ask is a fun one, right? If you guys can tell I'm a fun, goofy guy, I like <laughs> jokes, I like to laugh, right? So I always ask this question. Um, if... Aliens came down to our planet (laughs) and they have never seen your favorite color before Mm -hmm. and you didn't have it around to show them. How would you describe your favorite color to them? (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) I don't even know how to answer that. So my favorite color is orange. The easiest one to answer is a blue. But um, so if your favorite color is blue, you would say the color looks like what it feels like to be sad. Mm. Color is what it feels like to be cold. Mm color is what it feels like to be dropped into the middle of the ocean mm. my favorite color is orange so i'd say something like it's the color of passion it's the color it's the color of the sun Warm. when the yeah. when the sun hits your skin and you feel that feeling that's orange mm. right and it makes people think but the reason why i like telling that is because you see how you're like hey damn i don't know how i'm gonna answer that yeah when when i tell them how to answer it i know they're gonna go back to their team and Bob is going to go to Billy and ask Billy that same that question. question yeah. And then Billy's going to be like, yo, where the hell did you get that? Yeah. Yo, that can in Jermaine. <laughs> I love it. It's like you're really standing out above outside of all the candidates that they may have hired. They're going to remember you after that. Yeah. 
Okay. Honestly, guys, I feel like I could talk to Jermaine for a very long time, but the episode is getting long and I want people <laughs> to listen to the very end. But we are going to have a Coin Fashions episode after this. Uh, but yeah, if you want to learn more, I feel like you should go and follow Jermaine on Twitter because he, again, as I said, posts gems all the time. But Jermaine, one more question for you. If you could tell somebody how to not, if you had one piece of advice to help people not go broke trying to get into tech, what would you tell them? Like just one piece of advice. Never expect a journey into tech to be quick and easy. Mm. Tech is a long game. So if you are getting fresh in this industry, don't make a one year or six month game plan. Make a five or 10 year one because that's how long your journey could take. Wow. It's and I feel like this has been a recurring theme throughout the entire episode. Like it's not a short game. It is long, but it's definitely worth it. If you put in the time and effort, it can definitely pay off in tenfold. Right. I've seen people like change their lives after going into tech and 376 lives black people from black people have been changed by you. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) If somebody wanted to find you, where could they find you? Um, Oh man, this sounds so bossy. If you Google, if you Google the job father, you'll find. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. This branding is on point. I love it. As a marketing nerd, I yeah. really, I really do love oh, it. Oh man, I was. It was like the other day. It was like someone was like, "Who do you think you are?" I was like, "Google me." Yeah, I'm the job father. <laughs> I'm the job father. Period. But um, you can find stuff. You can find. I, I made sure that my my Google results are me when you type in the job father. But if you're on Twitter, it's the job father with two underscores. Um, if you're on uh, TikTok, it's the job father. And if you're on LinkedIn, uh, you can type in Jermaine L. Murray. And I'm the one with the Jamaican flag because, you know, Jamaican's always got to represent <laughs> <laughs> um, or the job father. Um, but thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thank you for being here, everyone. If you did enjoy this episode again, I think you will love following Jermaine on Twitter. So go and follow him on Twitter, on LinkedIn, Instagram, all the platforms. I think you will really enjoy it. Also, share this on your social media. You can just hit that share button right down below, especially if you're on Spotify. You can just hit that share button, share directly to your Instagram story, and then tag me, tag Jermaine, and tag at Don't Go Broke Trying. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. I appreciate you for watching on YouTube. We're trying to get monetized on YouTube, so watch on YouTube if you're. If you listen to this on Spotify or, or Apple, go again and watch it on YouTube because you need to take notes this time. And yeah, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you learned something that will help you not go broke. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple, please remember to leave a review. And don't hoard this knowledge. Share it with a friend that you think may find this valuable. This episode was produced by Omelia Visuals with music by Wonder Girl.